Ephesians, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 17, and we'll read down to verse 20. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Father, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercies. They're so abundant. Uh, thank you for the increasing numbers that are carving out time uh, to be uh, together to discuss your word in Sunday school at 930 May their tribe increase. And Father, thank you uh, for those that you have gifted to study and prepare uh, to lead us in those discussions. Uh, thank you for allowing us to come together to sing and those who lead out in that endeavor. Thank you for allowing us to greet and give, etc., etc. Uh, Father, these are all preparatory things uh, because the best part is that we can sit at your feet and we can hear from heaven as you speak to us the words of life. As Eli taught Samuel to say, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. May we be attentive to you now as you speak to us. May we, may we show how much you mean to us, even in the way in which we listen to what you have to say. And Father, strengthen us uh, to receive with meekness what you say, that it may change us and we may work it out in daily practice. By Satan, we always ask, we don't want him having anything to do with what takes place. But Father, uh, allow us to hear only from you. Uh, hide this, your servant, behind the cross, that only Jesus may be seen and heard from. As always, we pledge to give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving because we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I was, uh, I think I told you about a story that I read about this uh, lady. Uh, she and her friend, the neighbor, uh, they went to the police station because the woman wanted to file a missing persons report. And she told them, my husband is missing. And they asked him, asked her, well, can you describe him? She said, yes, he's about 6'2", 
has wonderful brown eyes, athletic build, and he's a sharp dresser. And the friend interrupted her and said, wait, wait, wait. So your husband's nothing like that. He's 5'4". He's bald. His rotten teeth, his breath stinks, and he's really mean and horrible to you and the kids. And she said, yeah, but who wants him back? You know. I want to report somebody else. Well, in this particular passage, Paul is telling us that God has turned what was unsavory and who was unsavory into somebody else. He's allowed us to make a fresh start. Now, I'm grateful for that, and I want us to talk about that and what that looks like uh, this morning. I know if you were reading some of your um, regular magazines that you get at your home, like the Harvard Business Review and things like that, uh, you may have come across an article uh, that talked at the end of the year how things were changing to the beginning of the year, which means you move from the old thinking to the new thinking. And in that particular article that I read, it said the old thinking versus the new thinking went like this. The old, the employees are seen as the biggest risk, but the new thinking is that employees are the biggest assets. The old thinking was top-down communication, but now it's open communication. It was skill over behavior, but now it's behavior over skill it used to be you learn to manage your time and the employee's time, but now you empower results and you let them work it out on their own. It used to be you had a rigid working schedule, but now it's flexible, and some people are even working from home and don't want to go back to the office. The old thinking was you need to be at your desk, but now if you can be mobile you can be at the McDonald's restaurant and do your business. The old thinking used to be work for the weekends. But now it's do something that you love. Because if you go to work doing something you love, you really will never go to work a day in your life. The old thinking was corporate jargon, but now it's genuine honesty. There used to be a double standard. Well, there probably still is. But now they're saying that at least from in the company's eyes, there's only one standard. It used to be that people moved by a fear of failure. But the new thinking is fail often and fast. In fact, John Maxwell has a book out entitled Failure, the Back Door to Success. It used to be that the old thinking was you have to enrich the shareholders, but now you have to enrich the lives of others. The, the point of the article is that we need to get out of the old and step into the new. That's exactly what Paul is trying to tell us. God already did for us, and now we need to walk in that today. And in this particular passage, verses 20 through 24, uh, he actually mentions, guess how many things, Wayne? <laughs> Three things. <laughs> now, I know some of you, if you got the outline that Sister Brooks sends out, you say, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Pastor Ray, you put 
three points in the outline, but your, each one of your points has three points. So it really, you know, gets a little more involved. But that's okay. It's all good. I'm going to give you three points today. Okay, well, one of the points will have three sub-points, but that's okay. Let's talk about the God changing me from the old person to the new person. And look at what he says in verse 20. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. And that stands in contradistinction to the things from 17 down to 19 where he's describing that old life. I put the New Living Translation down. That isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ. And I I put the word learn in red because there's at least a couple of things about that word there that I want us to consider. First of all, the, the and this is for guys like uh, Brother Edison and Kaz and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Charles, you guys at traffic in the Greek, you know, this is an aorist tense. And in the aorist tense, it's speaking of a specific point in time. And that's important because what he's saying, he says, you were, when you were taught what you learned, he's pointing back to salvation. He's saying this is this is where you were, but then you learned you reach a point in time about Christ, and then from there things changed. He talked about that old life in verses eighteen through nineteen, where he says having been well, he talked in seventeen about them being futile in their thinking, having been their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance, because of blindness. Past feeling callous, given over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Notice the little list there. You used to be the old life was self-centered. It was without purpose. It was ignorant of God's truth. It was morally and spiritually calloused and sensitive, hardened, depraved in this thinking. That's what life used to be like. And in fact, that's life for the person who does not know Christ, the person who has never received Christ in the pardoning of their sins. That is their life. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I, I put these verses down because I, I, want, to, I want to make a point uh, about that past life. He's saying that, you know, that past life, none of that, resulted in you coming to Christ. See, no, nobody goes out and adopts an immoral lifestyle and then finds that as they are practicing that immoral lifestyle, they are more desirous to know about Christ. That's not true. No one who is addicted to any substance uh, in feeding that addiction finds that they really, really want to give their life to Christ. Those things, they take you away from Christ. They dry you up on the inside and make you insensitive to the things of God. The things you used to traffic in were damning your soul. But then Christ stepped in, and he saved you, and he changed you from what you used to be and what you used to pursue uh, to now pursuing him and walking in him. And that's a very important point because what that means is the the people, the things that you used to do before Christ saved you, those are the things that 
you don't do anymore. You put those things away. And that's a very, very important point. And the reason I put 1 Corinthians 6 up is because, you know, that's something that needs to be said today. He says, don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Now, understand, he's talking about a lifestyle. You see, when you were unsaved, when you didn't know Christ, your lifestyle, you trafficked in sin. Gladly so. Sin was your master and forced you to use your body to gratify its lusts. You couldn't help it. But then Christ set you free from the power of sin as well as his penalty. So now you can say no to sin and you can walk in righteousness. And so he's saying here, those who do wrong, the people who practice that kind of lifestyle, they'll have no share in the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, that's the interesting statement, uh, rendering of the word effeminate, uh, <clears throat> because it really speaks of those male um, those who, uh, well, male prostitutes is a good term because effeminate are men who sell their bodies like prostitutes, women prostitutes who sell their bodies. Homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. Now, let me pause here. Well, I'm not a pause because I put it there so I can make this point. And, and this... Right here locally, we have a church. Okay, North Point, all right. Uh, and I would imagine that his father, he's in heaven now, but if he was still in the grave, he'd be turning over in his grave, I would imagine. Uh, Charles Stanley being the father, Andy Stanley the son. And, and I mentioned before, you know, they had this, this conference, this affirming conference just a couple of weeks ago. And what they did is they brought in speakers. They said the goal is to help parents deal with their children who are gravitating toward and into an LGBTQ plus 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 lifestyle. So you you need to learn how to how to affirm them in that. And in fact, they had speakers come in. And one of them wrote a book about God and the gay Christian. Now, if I'm understanding the scriptures correctly, there is no such thing as a gay Christian. In fact, there is no such thing as gay marriage. You say, wait, what, what, the, what the government says, the law says that there is such a thing. Listen, marriage has been defined by God. I mean, he created it, he originated it, his idea, it functions according to his design. And God, in Genesis 1, he says male and female. And in fact, when he brought the animals to the man to show him that there wasn't anything like him, you know, they all had mates. He didn't have a mate. And he wanted a mate. God put him to sleep, took the rib out, fashioned the woman, brought her to the man. That's why when you have a marriage ceremony, 
That's why the bride, she's, she brought down all her glory, and she's presented to her husband, right? Or to the man who's going to be her husband, right? God brought the woman to the man, right? And then the two of them, Moses says, become one flesh. That's marriage, as God defines marriage. And because God defines marriage in that way, anything other than that cannot properly be called marriage. Now, you can call it a civil union. You can call it anything you want. But it is not marriage. It will never be marriage. It cannot be marriage because it's outside of what God has defined. And it's the same with, well, I'm, I don't want to spend too much time on this. But I, I thank you. But I, <laughs> But I, I do want to, I want you to just look at what he says. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes. What's that next one? Homosexuals. None of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. The person who practices a lifestyle that is averse to the God of the scriptures cannot say that they are right with God. So what that means is you can't say, I'm a gay Christian. Because once you come to faith in Christ, he separates you from yourself. It is now, henceforth and forever, wrong to do, to practice. So if God has set you free from a lifestyle that violated his character and his holiness and his word and his ways, if he separated you from that, how can you say, I am, I belong to him while I am that? No. No such thing. And the the problem, well, I have several problems with what went on, but one of the biggest problems is look how they are deceiving these people into thinking that it's okay for them to practice a lifestyle that God condemns and say that they belong to God. What Paul says here, none of them will have a share in the kingdom of God. You can't practice a lifestyle that is averse to God and say you're okay with God. And so when you're affirming these people and saying, well, well, you know, we understand and it's okay and, and they're alternative. No, no, no. It's wrong before God. It's always been wrong before God. It's always going to be wrong before God. You say, well, Pastor Ray, there are people, and they, they can't help it. Like, I talk with people, I talk with some guys who said to me, as far back as I can remember, I've only ever been attracted to guys. I was like, okay. That means you have a sin nature, like everybody else, Right? But what that does not mean, it doesn't mean, for instance, I can say, well, as long as I can remember, I've been attracted to stealing money from banks. Does that mean that because I'm drawn to that, that it's okay? No, as long as I can remember, I've been desirous to have an adulterous relationship with these other men's wives. Does that make it okay to do? Because you have that attraction. No, having an attraction doesn't mean that it's okay to practice it. We were all addicted to sin, and we enjoyed sin. We trafficked in it, and it killed us. 
we were under the judgment of God. But Christ, he saved us from that. So we can't be comfortable in that any longer. And it is, it is such a heartbreaking thing that you would teach people, and you know they have satellite um, uh, churches that all tie into what uh, they teach at that church. Twenty to 30,000 people listening to him and following what is clearly unbiblical. You know, my wife's niece, when she was uh, five years old, she was mad about something. She said, that just fired me up. I'm like, something just fired me up. That's one of them. You cannot practice a lifestyle that is averse to the scriptures and say that you're okay with God because God saved you from sin. He doesn't save you so you can go have some more fun in sin. Notice what he says in verse 11. And this is the thing that, that I mean, it's, Very obvious. He said, there was a time when some of you were just like that. But now, your sins have been washed away. You've been set apart for God. So you can't practice a lifestyle that conflicts with what God says and say that you're okay with God. You say, Pastor, you just... You just mean. Well, if I mean, it's because, well, I won't, I won't say God is mean because God is love. But listen, the same God that talks about his love is the same one that talks about his judgment, right? The scriptures say that, that God hates sin. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And, you know, while we don't hate people, we nevertheless cannot affirm sinful activities. We can love people, but that's not the same as say, well, since you're wired that way, I understand. No, I don't. What I understand is you're practicing a lifestyle that is condemned by God is wrong, and you need to repent. They don't want to repent of their sin. They want to have their sin and still say they're okay. But I want you to notice, we have a new life in Christ. Dr. MacArthur said something that I I really like, so I put it up. (laughs) He's talking about the new life in Christ. He says, in Christ, you are not the same people you were before salvation. You have a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, a new relationship, new power, new knowledge, new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new righteousness, new love, new desire, new citizenship, and countless other new things that had no part in your former life. You are not what you used to be. You are not who you used to be. The day you received Christ, he cleaned all that up. And he set you free. And he didn't clean you up so that you can moonwalk back into the mess. Now, I'll tell you, we, we have four kids. And I can remember when they were little infants. And, you know, every now and then you go, <laughs> right? And then you look at your maid and say, you going to get that? <laughs> And they pretend they don't hear you and don't see there. But, you know, how would it you, as far back as I remember, 
when I went to change the little darlings, you know, I took off the old messy diaper, right? And then I wiped them up and I put that Johnson baby powder. Ooh, that's some good smelling stuff, right? You know, I have Johnson and Johnson in my portfolio because I love the smell of Johnson baby powder, man. But, but anyway, you know, I put that on them, you know, after I wiped them, obviously, and cleaned them up. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't put that dirty diaper back on them. That would have been gross. And if you do that, you need to come see me for counseling. You know, nobody in their right mind does that. So, you know, you change them. And you put them on something new and clean and fresh. That's what God has done. He's changed me. He's, he's made me a brand new me. Well, I look the same on the outside. In fact, I'm probably a little darker than I used to be then. But that's okay. But on the inside, I'm brand new. Because that's what God does. The new life in Christ, it involves a change from what I used to be. But not only that, secondly, the new life requires what I call higher education. Higher education. Notice what he says in the next verse. He says, if indeed you've heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, there, there is a, a learning about Christ and there is a teaching about Christ. He says, since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus. In, in other words, I don't stop the day I get saved. I start on that day. I, I start following him i start walking with him i start doing the things that please him and that continues for the rest of my life he says if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in jesus he becomes my shepherd and i become his sheep in fact, the two things about that higher education requires, number one, that I recognize the voice of the shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep, they, they hear my voice, right? And I told you before, when the shepherd, when he puts the sheep in the sheep pen, uh, or if he's out in the fields and another shepherd comes by, they can get together and they can talk and the sheep, they intermingle with each other and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, they don't they don't count the sheep. They don't mark the sheep. They talk, and when they're done talking, they just, you know, this one, he goes his way, and this one goes his way. He walks a little different distance, and then he just ushers a little call. And then he turns, and he walks away. And when he issues that call, when the sheep put that call, they separate themselves, and they follow the shepherd. The person who belongs to Christ will follow Christ. He's, he's, she's yoked to Christ and they can't help. They recognize his voice and, and then they follow him. But responding to the voice of the shepherd, that's sanctification. I'm learning to follow him and do the things that please him. And that's what God's called me to do. I need to recognize and I need to respond to the voice of the shepherd. Talking to our kids on Friday and I was just uh, sharing with them, you know, my, my um, youngest daughter. She said, well, pray for me. You know, I gotta, I've got to share. Uh, i got to speak to this group at the school. 
and um, talk to them about shepherding, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'm praying about what to say. And I said, listen, how about Matthew 11, 28 to 30? Because that's, to me, I said, you ought to talk to, to, to them about worship. She said, well, they're a worship team, and everybody talks to them about worship. I said, no, don't talk about worship, the art. Talk to them about worship, the heart. Because the heart that worships Christ is different from the art of singing about Christ. I love this verse. Look at the, look at the tenderness of it. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? He says, yeah, I've been, I've been trying to get better, and I've been failing. I've been, I've been you know, put through the ringer, and, and life gets hard, and I don't understand it. And Jesus said, listen. You burned out? Maybe you say, well, I, I, I went to church and I tried to get better. And, and you know, I thought if I, if I went and if I gave some money or if I got dunked in the tank or, you know, if I started uh, getting a Bible and tried to read it and, and if I started to do some things that my life would turn around and my life hasn't turned around and things don't seem to be getting any better. Jesus said, are you tired of that? He says, come to me. Come to me. He says, he says, get away with me. What an invitation. And I'll tell you what I know. There are a lot of people who spend uh, time. They, they assume that, that if they come and if they just sit in the building, they're okay. They do it Sunday after Sunday. You know, some of them are really devoted. They come back on Sunday evening, you know, and then they, they tune in on Wednesday night, right? And then they have a Bible in their house, right? Not saying they read it, but they have a Bible in their house. And, and you know, they, they practice all of the little things that Christians do. They eliminate from their schedule all of the dirty dozen that Christians don't do. And they think, if, if, if I do it, if I do it, if I do it, I'll be okay. No, no, no. Listen, the Christian life is an invitation to spend time with Jesus. That's all it is. That's all it is. He says... Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. The, the thing is, I, I'm not trying to get you to perform for me. Mark says, Jesus, he went and he prayed all night to the Father, and then he came down from the mountain, and he had his group of disciples, and he chose 12. Mark says that they might be with him. And that he might make them apostles. The first calling was to be with him. Paul says in First Corinthians one, he says, he says, you've been you've been called into fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. My my primary calling is to to be with Jesus. But he says he says you recover your life. He says how. I'll show you how to take a real rest. You tortured and turned. You don't need new therapies. You just need to let me call the shots. You need to come to me. You need to be with me. You need to hang out with me. Spend time with me. Watch how I do it. And then you know how to do it. See, in Israel, they, they were in bondage to Egypt. And then... Christ set them free. And then 
they went out into this harsh wilderness. And in that harsh wilderness, there was no water, but Christ, he was the rock that they drank from. And they had what they need. And they were out there, there was no food, but but God, he rained the manna from heaven. Christ, he's their bread. He sustained them. Forty years he sustained them. And they got to walk with him day after day after day. And of course, when you you look at the scriptures, as I said, it's not a record of what God did. It's a record of what God does. Because the, the same Christ who delivered them from bondage is the one who delivers from bondage. The Christ who sustains them when they're thirsty is the one who sustains me when I'm thirsty. The one who feed who fed them when they were hungry is the one who feeds me. And, and if I want to know how to live, if I want to know how to treat people, if I want to how to how do I deal with my adversaries, anything that I want to learn how to do in life, all I have to do is look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the living word. And if you take the living word, and if you take the written word, they line up. So if you if you read the written word, it'll tell you all about the living word. And then you can just do like he did it. Jesus says, let me teach you how to live. But many times we say, well, I, yeah, yeah, I know. I, one of these days, right? You know how it is when you, you were going to get on that doc. I shouldn't say that. You know how it is when you were going to learn some habit, right? You said, I'm, I'm going to start, right? And, and then you go a day. And the second day, it gets hard. You say, well, you know what? I, 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 I really should. Maybe I'll start again next week, right? And you just put it off and you put it off. And then, you know, you're like me. Well, I said I was going to do the wall in my living room. And I just looked at my wife one day. I said, well, you know, I need to go and I need to fix that wall. It's, it's been months. She said, no, it's been years. Since you was going to fix that wall. Yeah, years. I had gotten so used to it, I didn't even see the faults in the wall anymore. I just got used to it. And we, we just get used to, to putting things off and, and not do We don't know how to walk with Christ because we don't walk with Christ. But we don't know how to live for him because we're not spending time with him. And he's saying, well, look, come, come. I, I see you're frustrated. In Matthew 9, he, he, he says it, it, it gave him an ache in his belly as he looked at the people because they were harassed and like, like sheep without a shepherd. It, it says they had so many problems and they didn't know where to go to get help. It broke his heart. He said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Beg the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. There's so much to be done. And then he sent them into the harvest field to be the answer to their own requests. And see, what I, what I want to do is, is I want to learn from him. I want to I get his passion, his heart for people. I want to learn how to live like he lived. And to do that, i got to spend time with him. And see, that's one of the reasons why, among other things, we have our discipleship classes. <laughs> Yeah, I put that in there. He says, watch how I do it. 
I love when he says, learn the unforth rhythms of grace. What in the world is that talking about? Grace is, grace is God's enablement. Grace is, you know, when we, we go uh, up to our daughters, uh, to our daughter and son-in-law and the grandkids <laughs> for Christmas every other year, right? Uh, we go up there, and my daughter, she had this hot chocolate station, right? And you walk into the kitchen, and it's sufficiently cold in Michigan in December, but she got that. She's got the water there or the milk. And, you know, you put the hot chocolate in the cup because she's got the cups there. And then, you know, she's got the marshmallows there. And then she's got the peppermint there. And everything that you need to get a really good cup of hot chocolate, she's got it all there. That's grace. Grace is God. He's got everything right there that you need. You got the the grace to to, to make good decisions. You got the grace to get up and go when the get up and go done gone. You got the the grace to understand what you read. You got the grace to speak intelligently. You got the grace to speak with respect. Strength, right? When people get on your nerves. You you got all of all of the things that God has called you to do that seem impossible. His grace is right there to enable you to do it all. You just have to you just have to walk with him and see how he does it and then go and do like he did. And you define you you find out that that it's all there. He says I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That new life, it requires higher education. I I can't just say, now I've been saved. Praise God, I'm good. There's so much more to the Christian life. And God wants you to have it all. But the third thing, the final thing, is that having it all requires discipline. (laughs) Because you know how it is when you do exercise. If you get up and you walk, my my older sister called me last week. She said, Ray, I got up this morning and I walked and I walked. She said, I walked for over an hour. Yeah, she said, and then my legs swole up and I couldn't hardly get out of the bed. I said, well, yeah, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going I'm to wait a minute. <laughs> the thing that happens is, is once, you, once you start, you know, you have to deal with the fallout, right? Because, you know, there's pain. No pain, right? no gain, right? But, you know, the next day, the first thing that you face is the pain. And you have to push the pain aside to go after the goal. And that requires discipline. So Paul, he talks about discipline in verses 22 to 24. And, and uh, well, I have about two minutes left. Look at that. He says there are three things involved in discipline. The first one, he says you have to put off the old, right? The old stuff that, that you used to do, you got to put it off. You know, those old dirty, grungy, stinky clothes that you wore. Once you take a bath, you don't put them things back on, right? And I tell you, those old, sometimes you grow out of your clothes. Well, for me, you know, I put it in the, in the uh, closet, and then they shrink after a while. 
You, you have to put off the old because it's ill-fitting. Now, I, I, I put down, uh, well, okay. I put down a couple of, of, of slides here because I want to make a point about something. Next slide says, some of you may be asking, well, why is it, you know, when I became a Christian, you know, before I became a Christian, I had a, a relatively easy time in life. Then I became a Christian, and now it seems that everything is hard. You know, everything is difficult. It seems like everywhere I turn, the more I read the Bible, the more guilty I feel because, you know, I'm just like I'm all the stuff I've been doing, I'm not supposed to do it anymore. And, and you know, you have this struggle. Paul spoke about that in Romans 7. And the, the long and the short of it, I may lose some of you on this. I, I don't want to. But uh, you, you, have, you have, before you become the Christ, you had a sinful nature. You were born with it. But then you also had sin indwelling your body. Now, some people say that when you receive Christ, you receive a new nature to go with your old nature, and the two of them have to fight it out for supremacy. I don't know that the scriptures teach that, but some do. Okay? And um, then in salvation, you have a new nature because God, he, he, uh, he puts the old nature to death, and he gives you a new nature. But that new nature is still in that sinful body. And so your body calls and craves for fulfillment and, and to desires. Sin asks you to use your body to fulfill the lusts of your flesh. And the Spirit says, no, use your body to accomplish the will of God. So you have a choice. And the reason you have a struggle is because now you have in your mind and your heart a desire to serve God, a desire to please God. But you still have sin dwelling in your body, which is craving and calling you to do those things that you know don't please God. Say, well, how long am I going to have that? Until you get a new body. You'll get a new body when Christ returns. Romans, uh, go to 6, 12 through 14. He says, don't, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to its lustful desires. See, the person who doesn't know Christ can't do that. They have no choice. They can't help it. In fact, they like doing it anyway. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you've been given new life and use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. That's the choice that you have. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. And we ought to walk in freedom. We have to put to death the old Put off the old. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it in Ephesians 4. It says, throw off your old nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. See, what I've got to do is, is I've got to 
take in the word of God and let the word of God form the grid through which I sift all of life. Everything in my life needs to be screened, filtered through the grid of the word of God. If, if I don't do that, then I'm going to be influenced by the thinking of this world. And Paul, uh, excuse me, John says in 1 John uh, 2, 15, I'm not to love the world. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is, it's not the fathers of the world. The world's temporary. It's passing away. The one who does the will of God lives forever. So he says you must display a new nature because you're a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. So when I'm renewed in my mind, I, I, I learn to, to think like God thinks because I take in God's thoughts. Then I'll, I'll put on the new, which is what God wants me to do. You know, I read a story about lobsters. It says when they are very small, lobsters, they shed their outer shell. They may do that three or four times. But, you know, when they get older, they only do it once a year. But... But in the shedding of the shell, they say what happens is the shell, it hardens and it cracks. And then the lobster lies on the side and it uses muscles to pull itself out of the shell. And when it does that, of course, it's, it's vulnerable for a little while until it grows a new shell. And that's what we had. We, we've been separated from the old life. Now we're forming a new life. We're, we're forming the life of Christ. We're learning to, to think like him and act like him and walk like him and talk like him and be like him in every aspect of life. And to do that, I have to be immersed in the scriptures. There's just no way around it. I want to be that, that mannequin ministry that we talked about before, you know. Um, I... I put in my notes that sometimes, you know, you, you, you want to, you want to get by, you know, you walk through a crowd and excuse me, you know, you just want to get by to get where you're going. But sometimes depending on what you're wearing, you, you don't want to get by, you want to walk by, right? You just want to take your time and because, you know, you want people to see that new outfit, right? <laughs> you you want to make a comment, Right, and uh, you know, you know, how, you know, what I'm saying, uh, you know, like I, I saw the T-shirt. It says, "Do you believe in love at first sight?" In the back, it says, "Or oh, do I need to walk by you again?" You know, uh, but you know, sometimes you you just want to be seen. Well, listen, you know what God wants? God wants to put me on display. He wants me to be seen, not for me. He wants Christ to be seen in me. He wants to be able to so form Christ in my life, in my heart, in my ways, that when people look at me, they see Jesus. And they're drawn to him. So I have to put on that new. Father, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to look into it for a few minutes. Father, we, we need to recognize who we are in Christ. I'm reminded of, well, I guess I'll save that for a different time. Father, uh, we understand 
that walking in the flesh has never brought victory. But walking in Christ, walking in submission to your word, walking under the leading of your spirit, it all, always brings victory. And um, the life of Christ shines, blossoms through us. And that's what we want, Father. We want to make Christ known. and We need your strength. If you make it available to us, help us to, to walk in your truth. Uh, may we never desire or seek uh, to satisfy the desires of the flesh. May we not go back into an old lifestyle that brought shame and disgust and sorrow. But may we, in pulling away from the old, may we embrace the new. Having been cleansed by Christ, help us to put on Christ. May we walk in your spirit. May we walk in obedience to your word. May we walk out that which you are working in. Pray for anyone who may be here or under the sound of my voice, who again has never received Christ in the pardoning of their sins. Maybe they're still trying to be religious. Maybe they're still trying to get better. Maybe they're still trying to drop habits because they think it's the habits that will condemn them. They're already under judgment because they were born with the sin nature. Father, you sent your son to rescue them from the sin that has condemned them, that they may be saved. I pray that they'll turn from themselves today and embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord, surrendering their lives to him. Strengthen us, those who receive Christ, to so walk in Christ that people see him ruling and reigning in us and be drawn to him. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.